Dad on Money is presented by the Small Business Financial Advisors. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Dad on Money. I'm your host, Stephen Williams, and I'm co-hosted by a rotating cast of my children, each with their own financial goals and situations. Today, I am joined by Jerrica. Say hi, Jerrica. Hi, I'm Jerrica. I'm a college graduate and currently a stay-at-home mom, and I love traveling. So today, we are talking about the different ways to travel. Hey guys, Stephen here, just popping in to remind you that Dad on Money is brought to you by the Small Business Accountants and Small Business Financial Advisors. For all your accounting and financial advising needs, our small business is here to help you. Come and get your personal taxes done and put that refund to good use. There is a light at the end of the tunnel and we all know that the border has to open up eventually. So when it does, where will you go first? Today, we'll give you some of the tools and the costs of a few different travel options so that you can decide which one is best for you. I am so glad that the light is getting brighter at the end of that tunnel so that we can go traveling. I'm so excited to get out there. Me too. Okay, so my first question is, and this is for all of you, um, if you would like to answer on our Instagram, head over to at dad on money on Instagram and comment where is the first place you'll go once the border opens up. And dad, that question is for you to answer right here. Ooh, put me on the spot. Well, first place I want to go, well, because we can travel within Canada, no problem, really, but... To travel down to the U.S. where one of our grandchildren is, that's where we want to go. Because it's been, well, the last time we saw her in person was, what was it, March 18th of 2020? I think that's when we flew out. (laughs) See how we remember those things? Yeah, that's so, that's the first place we want to go because it's been well over a year since we've seen one of our grandkids and so we want to get down to the U.S. to see her and hopefully see her in Disney World. Yeah, wouldn't that be so fun? Um, the first place that I'll go is, I don't know, probably back to Canada, but I would love to go to Italy. Um, we had a trip planned and <laughs> it was going to be so awesome. And then everything shut down. So... We did not get to go on that, and our savings, our Italy fund, is just still sitting there waiting, waiting for us to be able to go. Perfect. Let's go in January. Mm, I don't know if we want to go in January. They still get winter. We'll talk about it. All right. (laughs) Christmas time, honestly, for you guys who want to travel to Europe, Christmas time is a magical time of year in Europe. Um, It's... It's like you're stepping into a storybook and you really can't go wrong with any country that you go to um, at Christmas time. So it's fun to go during the summer. Yes, to go to the beach and to be comfortable weather wise. Um, But definitely Christmas is worth it. Um, Go like early December before it gets crazy. Anyway. okay, so. When booking a trip, I just found this website this morning that is awesome. 
And I wish it was this was a paid sponsorship, but it's not. So we're just going to tell you about it because it's beneficial. It's called momondo.com. That's M-O-M-O-N-D-O.com. And if you go to that website, you can access a map and it gives you a map of the world and you can put in your departure country. So Canada or wherever you live um, and you can see what countries are open to you Cool. right now. And as the Canadian border opens up, you know, it's still kind of difficult for Canadians to travel, like getting back home, um, unless you're fully vaccinated. But, um, yeah, it gives you every country that is open to you without restrictions. And then it has ones that are with restrictions and then ones that are completely closed. Um, and, Currently, Canada is on that completely closed list for pretty much everyone. Anyway, anyway, they have a cool map that you can look at um, and figure out what countries you can travel to safely um, without restrictions. And it'll also tell you, okay, you need a COVID test for this country or, you know, whatever. Um, so anyway, just be educated and make sure that you're looking on the country's like government website um, to find out what the rules are. Excellent. That's exciting. Go and check that out. Okay. Um, so what are some of the different ways to travel? Let's talk about that first. All right. So first and foremost, probably the easiest and cheapest, well, depending on how far you're going, is a road trip. Because you know how much it costs and how far you can go in your vehicle. And so you can kind of plan for that, right? Flying? Hmm. Flying, you can plan for it. But again, it does change depending on you know, what day you're flying, when you're flying throughout the year. So you just don't, you know, there's not a 100% guarantee of planning for that flight because you could be looking at flights one time of the year and it's 300 bucks to fly their return. And then another time of the year, it could be $3,000. And so you really need to watch those things and plan for those inevit inevitable type of changes sorry if there's background noise there's construction going on here at the meadow and so they're packing some dirt and so I think they're going across some gravel right now and making a lot of squeaking so apologize that for all the listeners out there anyway so flying you really have to you need to over budget when you're flying because the prices are all over the place Sometimes you can get wicked deals, which means we can go out and eat more because we've saved more for this trip. Or you don't get a wicked deal, but you really want to go there for that weekend or that week because that's when you get holidays from work. And then you're kind of stuck with that price. And then you're eating mac and cheese your entire holiday. So you really want to have a, have a look at that and make sure that um, you save enough, especially for flying. Uh, just because it, it can be all over the place. Well, and that's why I say, too, that going to Europe in November, early December before Christmas, that's one of the best times to fly um, because it is cheaper. You want to be going, yes, okay, it would be fun to go during July and August, but if you've looked at flights consistently enough, July and August are usually your most expensive dates to fly. And if you're flying to the US, that also 
goes into um, Thanksgiving in November is one of the most expensive times. Ah, who cares about that? Pfft, whatever. Americans do. <laughs> Thanksgiving's in October. <laughs> but it is, but you bring up a good point. You need, you need to watch these things and plan. It's not like, ooh, let's see when in the two months we can go to Mexico. Like, yeah, that's great, but really you should plan. If you want to, if you really want to budget for it, you really do need to plan for it and look for it. It's not a, because honestly, if you're going on a whim, you're, it's probably going to cost you more. So you got to plan for this stuff and just make a budget for it so that you can, you know, enjoy your time and not be stressed about, ooh, is my debit card going to work or is my credit card maxed out? You want to be able to enjoy that that experience. Mm-hmm, definitely. And food is a huge part of traveling. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when I go to Italy, I anticipate to gain 10 pounds because the food is so good. And it's basically all carbs but <laughs> and cheese. Um, but, you know, like you want to experience your trip, right? You don't want to go on a cruise. This is an extreme example because cruises are all inclusive. But let's say you go on a cruise and you sit in your cabin the whole time eating mac and cheese. Like, well, you've missed out on everything, right? And leading into our next option for cruises, make sure that you're saving enough for the excursions, right? Instead of just sitting on the boat when you're docked, right? (laughs) Yeah, so then you're just stuck on the boat. It's like, wow, that's great. I took this cruise to look at water. Yeah, you want to be able to go out and check out these places. Like, when are you going to go back to that place? Who knows? These things are expensive. So, okay, so we have road trips, flying, cruises, also another option. If you're landlocked, then prepare to drive or fly (laughs) to get to your boat. And for cruises, go... At, like get there at least a day early because if you've got travel mishaps where like a flight's canceled or rerouted due to weather, you know, especially in the winter, right? Like there's a lot of times where airports get closed or planes aren't flying for whatever reason. And so, you know, you don't want a planes, trains and automobiles type experience. So you want to be able to be like, yeah, that's okay. My cruise is in two days you know, we'll be able to figure this out and still get down there. So you do want to plan to get to, you know, wherever your cruise is leaving from, whether it's Vancouver or Miami or or wherever, and just, you know, check out the local sites. And so then you don't have to worry about it. Um, You could stay in hotels or motels. You could stay in hostels. Um, Those are especially good if you're just traveling with adults. Um, I don't think I would take my two-year-old to a hostel, but... In Europe, maybe. Hostels, I mean, hostels are a great way to travel in Europe, but I personally wouldn't take my two-year-old to a hostel. Um, A, because she doesn't sleep well in new places and I'd be disturbing other people. And B, just safety. I don't think I would sleep very well. Anyway, if you're traveling by yourself or with a group of adults, that's a really awesome option. Super cheap. Yeah, super cheap. Super, super cheap, especially in Europe. You could also rent, get Airbnbs. Um, Those are pretty affordable in Europe. Yeah, depending on what country you go to. And camping. You could go camping. That's super affordable. Yes, I'm living camping life right now since 
beginning of May, we've been camping permanently. It's kind of crazy. Okay, well, there are a few different types of camping, though. Oh, sorry. Yes, different <laughs> camping. Yes, there's tenting. Tenting is super cheap, even for the equipment, because you can get some pretty cheap tents from, you know, various places. Mm -hmm. um, and so, because they're not paying us, I won't, you know, put their names out there. But yes, you can get tents. You can get tents from lots of different places, uh, like tons of different sizes of tents. Like there's tents that are massive, like a house that are just crazy where you could have like four rooms in there and, and a whole kitchen area. It's kind of ridiculous, but yeah. So tenting or trailering or renting a trailer or renting an RV, renting RVs, um, like a motorhome are fairly expensive. So again, see what it is. And you know what? Everything comes down to budgeting for it because you do want to plan. And it's not, oh, we should go away next weekend. You know, let's go rent something. Well, that's not planning. That's spontane spontaneity, which is great if you've got the cash saved up from something else or for future trips or whatever. But, you know, you definitely want to you definitely want to plan for camping uh, for anything. And even a lot of, like if you're going to camp in sites, like in Canada, there's a lot of crown land that you can just camp at uh, where you don't have to pay money. Province of Alberta is starting to charge money on crown land, dirty rotters. So, you know, not as fun, but it is dry camping too. So especially if you're tenting, you're going out in the bush because not a lot of places will have outhouses even. So it's just you are on dirt and in the forest. And yeah, you're make sure that you have coolers that are bear proof or you're sticking all your food in your vehicle because you don't want to have a wake up in the middle of the night when a bear is coming in to grab that granola bar that you snuck into your tent for later. <laughs> yes. Yeah, don't put food in your tent. Because you may be the granola bar. <laughs> yep. Yes. <laughs> right. All right. What okay, else? So, what other things? Um, let's talk about something that's far more expensive than camping, and that is timeshares. And there, I want to talk about different kinds um, because you could be walking through the mall and someone might offer you free tickets to Disneyland. <laughs> this happened to me. <laughs> And all of a sudden, they're selling you a timeshare. Um, I didn't buy it. <laughs> I didn't get the tickets either. Um, but we want to be educated about this. So, Dad, I know you have some experience with timeshares. Um, and I want to talk about the different kinds because there are different kinds of timeshares. So timeshares basically is where you are, it's fractional ownership. So you are buying into a piece of property. Now that could be a resort, that could be a, an individual unit. Um, th there's various different types of uh, timeshares out there, like how they sell it. So you gotta, you gotta know what you're actually buying into. Some of it's just time at a resort. So you get a week every year at a resort and you know, you book that, you stay there. Now there's a generally a large upfront cost to a timeshare and then there's annual fees because it's almost like you're paying condo fees mm -hmm. uh, but they're generally more expensive than condo fees because you're paying you're 
you're pooling money with other people for this entire resort and they're making a lot because basically they are if you run the numbers they're probably rebuilding that resort every 10 years or have enough money to be able to do that mm -hmm. so you know really look at the numbers and really see if it makes sense it is high pressure sales so you know it's hard to say no because they know how to get you to say yes mm -hmm. so if you want to learn how to sell stuff really pay attention to how timeshare people do it because mm -hmm. they know how to sell stuff because you're getting one week out of a year and you're spending i don't know we'll just use 30 grand to buy into that and that could be a 40 year well let's use forty thousand just so it's easy numbers say a 40 year term on that timeshare so that's a thousand bucks a year and then your fees your annual timeshare fees might be another thousand bucks or more but we'll mm -hmm. just use a thousand so now you're paying two grand effectively per year for a week's worth of vacation mm -hmm. does that make sense you know if you've got a large family maybe that makes sense mm -hmm. because you're not going anywhere for two grand a year uh to stay in a hotel or you know traveling somewhere you know that it's expensive and so that might make total sense for you and your family. Mm -hmm. So you really got to look at that and analyze whether it is actually making sense for you. Now, most places are like you're buying into a specific resort. And so that's your what they call your like home base or home resort or whatever. So you can also the benefit of timeshare too is with all timeshare, you can transfer it to different places around the world. So if you're like, okay, I bought this in for two grand a year, but I want to go to France one year. Great. Guess what? There's a transfer fee. So usually have a couple of hundred bucks. So if you buy into a timeshare place that is generally cheap, then that's good for you because if you're going to Paris, it's probably way more expensive to stay in Paris than it is you know, in your home resort in Colorado or something like that, right? Unless you're there in the winter and everybody's skiing. But, so you got to keep that in mind. However, it's also on a uh, demand basis, right? So if you're trying to get into something that's really popular and you really don't have anything of worth, then it's going to be really hard to get in there. So if you've got a timeshare in Hawaii and you want to go to Paris, you can probably get in there fairly easy because the demand for Hawaii and the demand for Paris are fairly high. If you've got a if you've got a timeshare in Fairmont, BC, great place, gorgeous, great for skiing and golfing, you know, etc. Lots of activities around, great lakes and stuff, awesome hot springs all over the place, but here you are in this little gem in the Rockies in BC, demand isn't very high. So if you want to go to Hawaii, eh, good luck. It's going to be super hard. Like you might get to transfer it out once in like a 10 year period just because of the supply and demand. So you really have to be careful of what you're buying because if you're buying, say, a no name resort, like a Fairmont, BC, where the demand isn't super high, and going to 
a brand name resort, for example, in Hawaii, it's going to make it super difficult to, uh, to do that. And even like they've got incentives for people that buy in Hawaii or in these high demand places to leave their timeshare and get extra weeks elsewhere. So, you know, if you think about that, it might be worth buying into a timeshare in Hawaii, for example, because they might give you an extra week or an extra two weeks for you to give up your week in Hawaii. And then you can go other places and now you got three weeks vacation instead of just one. So that's a pretty sweet deal. So you really have to analyze that and look at all the numbers. Now, the problem is you really don't have time to analyze it when you're in the sales meeting because their special deals are only available while they're talking to you. You leave and it's like, oh, the price goes up 10 grand, right? So you really got to be careful with that because it is high pressure sales. So um, they really try to convince you to buy now. Yeah. And that's why I feel like it's important to talk about that on this show, because especially as we come out of the pandemic, uh, those high pressure sales are going to be higher pressure. (laughs) Right. Oh, definitely. My husband's cousin in law um, used to sell timeshares and he got laid off at the beginning of the pandemic and decided to change careers. But um, he is that type of salesperson that is really good at high pressure. Anyway, um, yeah, I think it's important to talk about that on here. There's also the kind of timeshare that you don't buy specifically into a resort, but you buy points is what they give you. And so you can trade your points for different places, but you can only go to whatever resorts are associated with them. Yeah. And really, you know, like on that points one, there are, there's, there, and Really, there's hundreds of resorts that you can go to using points as well. But again, if you're in a Fairmont, because Fairmont is on both of the systems, if you're in Fairmont that and you bought into the point side, your points might be 3,000. But if you wanted a week in Hawaii, you might need 8,000 points in Hawaii to get into a week there, right? So using it that way, it's a lot easier to use points but depending on what resort you've bought into, the value of those points or the number of points that you get each week or for each year isn't, you know, necessarily, you, you can't just go, oh, I bought a week here, so I can go a week anywhere. That doesn't happen. You really need to do your research before you go into these, these timeshare things. Um, and yeah, make sure you talk to people that, either have timeshare or have had timeshare. Um, you know, I know people with both like the time sharing and the points. And so there's pros and cons to both. And so you want to kind of look at it because everybody vacations differently. Some people are happy to go to the same resort all the time. So why would you do the point system? But if you want to go around the world and see what other cultures are and stuff like that, then you might want to do the point system. But you really got to look at that beforehand before you make that decision. Yeah, for sure. And it is a big decision. Um, They will. I've sat in at these meetings and they will bring out their standard package or whatever and 
it will be like $40,000. Um, but just so you know, there are cheaper ones. So you can, you can say no to the 40000 And the more you say no, the cheaper it gets. Because they'll throw in all they can. So, so just know what your budget is and go in prepared to feel bombarded. <laughs> go in strong. Um, but know what your budget is because for some people, it could be a really good decision. Okay, so then, wow, we are like really running this long. Yeah, let's do a let's do a second part. Maybe let's do a second part. Okay, let's finish up with the timeshares, um, and then we'll do a second part for you guys um, next time. But um, I wanted to ask too with the timeshares, what is it like selling them? Next to impossible. So. When you're selling timeshares, there are organizations that will try to sell your timeshare. But really, once the resort is full, then those high-pressure salespeople move somewhere else. And so you no longer have somebody advocating on your behalf to sell your timeshare. So if after a few years and all the timeshares have been bought out, for example... Um, and that resort's kind of closed to sales, unless you're in like a hugely popular resort, like a Hawaii. Hawaii, you could probably sell, no problem. But if you're looking at Fairmont, you know, you're probably walking away from it. So, you know, be aware of what you're getting into. There's not a whole bunch of value there. And, you know, keep in mind that this is like a condo complex that, you know, if something happens and goes sideways or the management team managing that property um, wastes the money, for example, and doesn't do the proper renovations or repairs and it goes into disarray, guess what? You're getting a big bill. You're getting a big bill and you either pay it or you lose everything. And they may even come after you because you own that part. And so you really have to be careful. Uh, what you're getting into like it might be better just to get a group of friends or family and say hey we all like this place let's buy a cabin here right mm -hmm. and then let's do that and then everybody kind of calendars out for their weeks that they want or if everybody's together or you know whatever the case is and then you kind of figure that out so everybody you know isn't gypped on their share of the property um, so that everybody can spend time out there. But you, you really have to look at this stuff closely and make sure that you don't um, get sucked into that. And keep in mind, especially in Alberta, I don't know about the other provinces, you have 10 days to back out of any sales agreement. Mm -hmm. So if in Alberta, say you were in Banff and there was a timeshare there or in Canmore and they've got timeshare, and you go to their timeshare meeting and you get, you know, sucked into buying one, you have 10 days to cancel. And that's on everything, cars, everything. You have 10 days to reverse that purchase. So that is a law in Alberta. So keep that in mind and make sure you understand what some of those are because, you know, you could get into that type of situation and then within that 10 days go, nope, I'm out, I'm done. Mm -hmm. cancel this so make sure you understand local rules as well if you're i guess buying into a smaller resort 
would it then be beneficial to not buy into the resort, but buy the points, right? Like selling points, would that be easier than selling your specific time at a resort? Yeah, probably. But then, but then you have to, but then you have to look at what are the value of those points? Because, you know, maybe it's cheaper to buy into points at a higher valued resort, right? Like what's your cost per point? Like you got to figure out, it's kind of like your, your cost when you buy meat, right? I see a lot of people go, oh, this steak is $28, whereas this steak is $50. Well, yeah, the other steak though is like three times the weight. Hello, (laughs) there's more meat there. Like some people are so ridiculous when they're buying food. It's like, oh, look, this is cheaper. And they're just looking Mm -hmm. at the total dollar value. And it's like, no, 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 no. Everything, a buck, a hundred grams. If it's less than a buck a hundred grams, generally, that's a pretty good deal. Like when you're talking meat, well, meat, amazing, um, cheese, things like that, it's a buck a hundred grams. If you aren't looking at it on the per weight basis, whether it's a pound or a kilo or whatever, you're not comparing apples to apples. So you really got to get, and it's the same with the points, right? You got to figure out what is the dollar value per point or per thousand points? Because if you're not looking at that and you're going, oh, this is cheaper. Well, yeah, it's cheaper because you get less points. Hello, right? So you, you got to really analyze that before you get into it. So bring your calculator um, and be sharp. Thanks for joining us on this part one of travel. Um, we're going to be talking about other things, different other awesome ways to travel um and anyway sorry we've run this episode so long thanks for listening to dad on money i'm stephen williams and you can find me at smallbusinessaccountants.ca and i'm jerica dennison and you can find me at she has a name too on instagram